We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. This thing on. See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in his nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. It's a lot worse for the slow-mo replay as Moss trying to punch it in. Touchdown. And the New York Jets are taking one on the chin against Buffalo. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pell Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was a Spiradidis talking about the New York Jets taking one. What was it, Chris? On the chin? On the chin. In this weekend's loss to the Buffalo Bills, <sighs> folks, can everyone, has, everyone, has everyone just taken a deep breath finally? Has everyone just taken a deep breath, collected themselves? I, do you feel better, Chris? Yeah, I do. It's, it's, it's amazing what a week will do for you in the NFL in a season as crazy as the 2021 season. Folks, we have a great show lined up for you tonight. We got a recap of the game. But first and foremost, we have two pieces of business to conduct here. Now, first, Chris, Kyle Washington. This guy, like, I'm I'm curating a box of beer for him as we speak. Like, I've been working on it for like probably about a month and a half. 
And yet, this guy out of nowhere messages us and says, hey, I just sent you, you just, I get a Facebook message, and I want to say it's later at night, he's out in Vegas, and it just says, hey, send a box of beer, you should have it for the podcast. Yep. Dude's a champion. We got it right here. I love this guy. I remember talking hammered. He's smoking a stogie in the bathroom after we beat Baltimore. I was up for like an hour just talking to this guy in the phone. It was, it was fun. Like, I love our listeners. I love... Chris, this is the stuff that keeps me... Because it sure as hell isn't your personality or good looks keeping me coming back here. No, it's your personality. But I will hand you a can of Kilt Lifter Scottish Style Amber Ale. Oh, boy. There you go. So for a beer review, sir, I'm looking at Kilt Lifter. Toasted, malty, love. It says AZ since 96. Four Peaks Brewing Company. I'm intrigued by this. It's 6% alcohol. It's a Scottish-style amber. Interesting, because ambers are one of my favorite beers. Brown ales, amber ales, winter warmers. I like all that stuff. Yeah, there was another one in there that was like 10 and a half. But I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i give him this. It's six. Oh, I see. I can smell the malt a little bit. I like that. Oh, that is drinkable as hell. Oh my god! So it's it's got a little bit of the, f- it's got it's a light beer, Chris. I wish you could taste this, but you know, I gotta go to work later. Yeah, you gotta wait. Say it again, one more time. I gotta go to work later. <laughs> Sucker. Yeah, because well, the look you just shot me is hilarious. Well, then it's my weekend when I get off work, so I won't have to be back until the weekend. That is fair. So. This beer is highly drinkable. It's super light. It doesn't have the like any kind of aftertaste when you wash it down. For being an amber, one of the things I don't like is some of them have like a smoky, almost like a dirty aftertaste in your mouth. This one finishes really clean. Cal, you killed this. This beer is incredible. Excellent. Well, you know, he also did send something else for a review. Oh, boy. I will hand that to Wait, you. Wait, what is... In, oh... An oatmeal raisin cookie. Yeah. There's two of them in there. Give me one of them. Oh, my God. I can't drink. I can't drink beer, so I can't have a cookie, though. Okay, so everyone knows how I feel about raisins and cookies. Delicious. Kyle, I hope hope that this is the one that changes the way I view them. Bite into it. Down the hatch. I like it. There are already some stuck in my teeth. I like it. I can eat a lot. I can eat a ton of these. It's quick. I know what I'm dying. Why don't you have a beer? <laughs> these are great. We appreciate it, Kyle. The, the cookie is so dense and those raisins just get stuck in my teeth. Although, I don't think I can blame the cookie for that. No. Folks, before we jump into this recap, oh, God, you know what? It wasn't as offensively spiced as I thought it was going to be. If we talk about beer finishing well, that cookie actually finished better than I gave it credit for. That was a nice bite. It's I like, like the it. one. It's like the one bite challenge. I, I, it's like a bar stool. Yeah. Yeah, you take... <laughs> I took the bite with the most raisins in it. I, it didn't kill me. Didn't hate it. 
This kilt lifter is definitely making it better. Kyle, thank you, brother. Thank you for all of this. But you still didn't sway me that raisin cookies are great. You didn't. Chris is on your side. Me? <laughs> I'll still see them in hell. I found out something this weekend, folks. There's been debates raging between myself and Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Not even between us, but we've kind of been like alley-oop dunking on people on social media over the last week about garbage plates. Yes, garbage plates. This this thing that people assume are just like a Rochester, what, a Rochester tradition, quote-unquote. It is. It's like their food. It's like they're trying to be chicken wings. It's all their food on one plate. Garbage plates are literally just the cheapest food you can put together, slapped onto the same plate at the same time, and then like a seven-year-old mixed together with some greasy meat sauce thrown over the top of it. People have been trying to tell me. Now, I went to school collegially in central New York. Buffalo born and raised, went out to central New York for all of my college years, and I just, I never understood the allure you know, it, it, it was drunk food. It was stoned food. It was never something that you ate just because it's a Tuesday night. I'm looking for something really delicious to sink my teeth into. And yet, Rochesteronians will defend... Is that the correct term? Rochesteronians? Rochesterans? I don't if, know. Call in if you know. I think it's douchebags. <laughs> no. People from Rochester aren't terrible. Just Potter just, lives there. Well... <laughs> He's sometimes terrible. <laughs> but garbage plates are always terrible. And yet they'll defend them to the bitter end. So this weekend I had a weird interaction. I'm arguing with my friend Dan Potter. It's funny you mentioned him. Congratulations. Hey, congrats. Turn one up for the big man. He got engaged this weekend. You shitting me? Yep. Why did he do that? Gonna be married. Oh, Put him outside. That's empty. Potter to you. So God. as so as we're at Potter's engagement, I'm arguing with one of the guys, the guy who originally held our season tickets, Dan, about garbage plates. And he's like, what, what is this tailgate chat that I'm now a part of? Because some of you hate, I'm hearing people hate garbage plates. Some of you hate Thanksgiving. I wish I didn't have Facebook Messenger. <laughs> so we get into this debate. And in the process, I order a beer. And I accidentally read the lady, the venue that we're at, celebrating his engagement, Potter's engagement. Just, they have a numbered board. Like, most kitschy kind of like, hey, we're a craft brewery of things. They have like a number 1 through 14 board that you can order all your drinks off of. So I said the wrong number. I meant 15, I said 14. She poured me something, and I was like, well, that's, I know for a fact, just looking at it, that's not what I ordered. And it was like a pumpkin spice beer that was full of cinnamon. And I gave it to Dan. And I said, Dan, I'm not drinking this, so you better take it. And I'm ranting about how I hate cinnamon. And then we're going back to our argument about garbage plates. And the bartender steps in and she goes, you know, it's funny you say that. You probably wouldn't like garbage plates if you don't like cinnamon. And I was like, oh, pour me a fresh 7.1% IPA and let's have this conversation. So she proceeds to tell me, and I backed this up by fact-checking it on Google, garbage plates, Chris. You think about what they are. It's a burger, mac salad, or potato salad, or whatever have you, with home fries. All on one plate. With the meat sauce poured over the top, and the meat sauce is key, right? Yeah. That meat sauce, think about what it is. 
it's ground beef, a kind of spiced sauce. It's like chili without the beans. Like a skyline chili? It shares a family tree with skyline chili. Legitimately, if you go back through history, you find out that garbage plates and Nick Tahoe, the guy who created like the, the not Nick, but it, the guy who created the first garbage plate used the same recipe to make that chili sauce that makes Skyline chili. Doesn't that check out garbage food made by garbage people? Like this is. One of the cheapest, like, the two things, Chris, now I understand why I hate garbage plates. Because it's incorporating another food abomination that shouldn't exist. Yeah. They are, garbage plates are the Kaiser Soze. Now, you don't know that, you don't know that reference because you don't watch movies. No. They are the Kaiser Soze of, of dishes. They sneak one past you. They're like, hey, look, I'm socially acceptable. I'm cool. Look. It's it's okay to be a fan of me when really it's just skyline chili over a burger. Oh, you thought you could get one on me? Wrong. I like how the garbage plate is like it's a copyrighted name. Like nobody can call it a garbage plate except Nick Tahoe. You copyrighted skyline chili on a burger. You're an idiot. I no. Oh, I hate them even more now, and I think it underscores the fact that. You people from Rochester, do is that who you want to be? You want to be the people clinging to something that shares a family tree with Skyline Chili. If so, good for you. You deserve whatever terrible things happen. <laughs> uh, you know who terrible things didn't happen to? The Bills. The Buffalo Bills. Our Week 10 recap, the Buffalo Bills won 45, the Jets 17. Here's your stats of the game. Mike White, 24-44, good for 54%. 251 yards, zero touchdowns, four interceptions. 27.6 rating. 27. But he should be a first overall pick. Josh Allen, 21-28, 75%, 366, two TDs, one interception, 85.2 rating. Josh Allen, 305 yards off play action passing. Second most in a game by any NFL quarterback since 2016. The Bills offense, three for four in the red zone. Bills rushing touchdowns, four, or Bills rushing, let's just call it that. Four touchdowns, 139 total yards. Trey White. Zero catches allowed, one interception, one pass defended. Bill's secondary as a whole, seven PBUs, which is a season high. Four interceptions, 15 solo tackles. In the words of Will Ferrell in old school, that is how you debate. That is how you debate, sir. A week after everyone wanted to write us off as choke artists, the Buffalo Bills, and more importantly, Josh Allen, stepped up and reminded everybody, kind of like I imagine Ric Flair would, that they are still the cock of the walk. Like, after a performance like that, don't you, like, you could picture Josh Allen if he wasn't such a humble dude, just walking into the locker room, doing the slow walk and the whoo, whoo, whoo. That was as good of a get-right game as you could ask for. You're eating more of that cookie, huh? I took a second bite of that cookie because the first one snuck up on me. I could still taste it in my mouth, and I was like, all right, let's give it a second <laughs> change. Sounds like you're savoring that cookie. 
Mm. It's delicious. It's unprofessional to eat on a podcast, says everybody else. Chris. We do a lot of unprofessional things <laughs> around here. <laughs> All right, that second bite was actually pretty good. God damn it. Like, it just... I hate that he's making me question my hatred of oatmeal raisin cookies. I'm going to get you a batch for Christmas. <laughs> I'll make them myself. Oh, good. Great. I'm sure I won't throw those immediately out into the snow. Uh, so, I just, you look at this first, first and foremost, Alan's bounce back performance. We all should have seen this coming. Right? A week of workmanlike practice. There's no dancing. There's no funny quips. No joking around with the media. That should have been an indication that something really bad was coming for those jackasses from New Jersey. A motivated, focused Josh Allen is a force of nature. Plain and simple. Just ask, just ask the Kansas City Chiefs. On a day when Jared Goff, I mean, you guys remember, the former number one overall pick in the draft at quarterback, threw for 53 yards in regulation. Josh Allen threw a 57-yard pass and five passes of 35 yards or more. It was clear that he took last week's game personally. And and what I can only, uh, only equate to vintage Tom Brady-like fashion, came back off a loss by just taking his opponent to the woodshed out of frustration. How many times did you see Tom Brady do that in his career? I don't know. If Tom Brady lost, you hated to be the team that had to play him next week. Just like whoever they play. Yeah, whoever, this week. Especially because they lost to Washington coming off a bye. Yeah. And his press conference was only like a minute and a half. Yeah. He takes that shit personally. And he is going to take that frustration out on whoever they play next week. I, I feel sorry for them. Josh Allen has developed a bit of that. I Look, he led the NFL in completed air yards per attempt at 12.1. Third in the NFL in percentage of aggressive passes. That's a metric that NFL Next Gen Stats put together. It's essentially how many times did you throw to wide receivers who are considered covered? He was third in the NFL. At 25%. So one out of every four passes that he completed on was to a guy who was covered, but he only had seven incompletions. And some of those were just throwaways. That's wild. (laughs) He was just like, hey, you want this ball? Fuck it. I don't care. I'm going to put it out there, and you're going to have to go work for it as a defense to try to stop me. I mean, that last one, he didn't give a single shit about the perfect throw, quote unquote. He just ripped it up. And trusted our guys to make plays, which is a massive shift from what we saw last week. Meanwhile, on the other sideline, you had the Mike White meltdown. I mean, it started out funny, and by the end of the game, it was kind of sad. I mean, I'm watching, I'm watching Mike White sit on the sideline. It was after the third, right? It was after the third pick, because after the, the is fourth that Poyers? Pick, Yes. The one where Poyer was just like, hey. Right at the goal line? And he was just like, fans, like, almost like he was looking in the stands, like, guys, I didn't even do that. Like, it just, it came to me, what was I supposed to do? That happened during one of my breaks at work. I was in the break room, and when they cut to Mike White right after the interception, there was a woman that works in my department, and she just goes, ah, he looks so sad. I feel bad for him. And I, like, turn and look at him, 
like her and another guy. I go, fuck him. Fuck him. <laughs> he lives in New Jersey. He lives in New Jersey. Fuck him. <laughs> Here's what I love. He goes back to the bench, and he sits down. Like, after the final, the fourth interception, he knew his day was over. After that third one, he walks back to the bench, and he's running his fingers through his hair, just watching the, the film on the tablet alongside the quarterback coach. And it, all, all I could think of was, this looks like a guy whose lawyer just laid out all the paperwork for him in his divorce, showing him all the things that his soon-to-be ex-wife is trying to take from him. Like, that was the look on his face. I, I don't know. You just almost felt bad for him. And it's not shocking in that regard that the Bills were all over the tendencies of White coming into this game. Because there's a weird dynamic that I don't think a lot of fans take into account. Now, I have the luxury of knowing a couple... They call them quality control assistants or quality assistants. You'll see that throughout the NFL collegiate ranks. I know guys who work at the college level. I've talked to them before. I've picked their brain about how they go about their film study process. Here's the way that you break down a guy who's never started before, right? Chris, he shocked, shocked Cincinnati because there was no tape on him whatsoever. And the Jets built a great attack around that. Then he came out and he played Indy and he got hurt early. But even then, like it was only partially working. Like you could see that they had a number on some of the things he was doing, but he was finding success. And then there's the third game. The reason why this is important is because you go back to 2019. Sean McDermott in 2019 went 3-0 against young quarterbacks in their third game. And here's why. When you talk to people who actually break down film, the process goes like this. The first game out of the gate, you break down film on what it, we don't know enough to really predict his tendencies. And this quarterback isn't getting put in all of the various situations that might present themselves. So instead, let's look at his mechanics. Let's look at how he responds to certain types of pressure. Let's look where his eyes go here and there. But more more or less, you're looking at the quarterback mechanically because they have, Chris, they have assistants who look at every position on the defense and break down tape to feed it back to the defensive coordinator, right? Because that guy can't watch all that film. Yeah. So the second game rolls around and they say, okay, let's take what we saw from him mechanically and just some of his course habits. Let's granulate that down. Let's make that a little more fine analysis. Let's look at specific situations and how he this quarterback responds to them. Let's take what he did last game, compare it to game two, and see if there was areas where he surprises or if he had some of the same tendencies. And also, how did he respond to pressure in two games? When pressure comes in his face, where does he go with the ball? When pressure goes to his left, to his right, where? what are his tells? What are his tendencies? Does he have any pre-snap tells as far as how this guy is going to try to direct his protection on the offensive line? By game three, you have a pretty, you have pretty much a roadmap to how a quarterback can operate. In 2019, Sean McDermott went 3-0 against young quarterbacks on their third game. Haskins... Brandon Allen from the Denver Broncos. Remember that game we won 20-3? to I think uh, Mike Swenson and his yeah. friend from Calgary came in. Yeah, they brought... Um, that was the uh, Vegemite? Vegemite game. And then Duck Hodges from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Who's better than Josh Allen. <laughs> According to PFF until this year. They seem to have forgotten about that. Convenient, right? Yeah. So... 
looking at White's passer chart from his 405-yard performance against Cincy, knowing the level of details that this coaching staff was going to go into into breaking down those three games, we probably should have all seen this result coming. Look at this. Against Cincy, White had one pass of more than 15 air yards downfield. 20 of his 37 attempts came within less than 15 yards downfield and inside the area of the tackle box. So it's telling that knowing that and having two games to break down his tendencies, he had 13 attempts in that same area, nine completions, two incompletions, two interceptions. The Bills were all over everything that Mike White wanted to do offensively early. And by turning those turnovers into points, forced him out of his comfort zone and into a place where he was left just, fuck it, I'm going to air it out. I'm going to throw down the field into coverage. And those ended up in two more interceptions. It, it just underscores he isn't suited for that type of play. I, and for anybody thinking that this, uh, it's, a, it's a dynamic that we shouldn't be that unfamiliar with, Chris, it's the Ryan Fitzpatrick thing. It's, it's the Ryan Fitzpatrick brand of football. Quick decision-making, it's, it's advantageous at times. I mean, you, you look at that comeback win against the Raiders, 2011. Yep. We come oh, yeah. back from 21-0. We beat the Raiders in a last-second throw because he diagnoses, okay, David Nelson's going to come across that linebacker's back, and no one, that linebacker's going to blitz. So I'm going to have him open, and I can make that quick throw into that tight window. He does it, we win the game. Everyone's ecstatic. The world goes crazy. End of... It's Bill's Patriots the following week. Quick, accurate check down to Fred Jackson, but they allowed him to get yards after the catch. It was a great throw into a tight window short from the line of scrimmage that allowed him to set up the game-winning field goal. And yet at the same time, for the successes that he had against upper echelon secondaries... It hurt us because teams would just say, okay, fine. Our safeties are just going to drop down into the box and make your life hell. We're going to fill up these lanes. We're going to deflect passes. They're going to be in the air. People are going to get their hands on them. There was multiple passes that could have been intercepted that just weren't. All those pass breakups, a lot of those could have gone for extra turnovers. This game could have been a bigger mauling than it already was. You throw in a little bit of fantastic interior pressure because Ed Oliver might have had one of the best games of his entire career in that young player's face. It's going to exacerbate things. And now he's, I mean, Mike White found out the hard way at the hands of an aggressive, well-prepared defense that NFL football is hard and that the second the league figures you out, if you, it happens fast and hard. And if you don't have a pivot, then you end up like Brandon Allen. You end up like Dwayne Haskins. RG3. You end up playing in Canada like Doc Hodges. Is he Canada? Yeah. You end up in all of these places when you can't pivot after three games or in game three and beyond. If you don't have a pivot, teams, good good teams, figure you out. (sighs) I was a little bit surprised to see the emergence of Gabe Davis. I did not expect that. Nobody could have. I mean, I'm pretty sure if, if, if FanDuel was offering, like, a, hey, Gabe Davis, under-over, it would have... Chris, can you Google what was the under-over? I don't know if you use FanDuel or any of these betting apps. No, Find I can, I can as, look As it the up. show progresses, come back to me. Go 
Go find me what the under-over bet was for his yardage in this football game. Because with Beasley injured, the team needed a wide receiver three. And it was perfect time to reincorporate our second-year wide receiver, who so far, he's been painfully marginalized. It bothers me that we... I screamed about it a few weeks ago, about how Gabe Davis has not gotten enough of a run in this offense, and how, especially in the red zone, for a guy who had seven touchdowns, we hadn't been looking at him, and I felt like there was no rhyme or reason to it. I just didn't understand why he was being underutilized. He came out and quietly had one of the, like, one of the quietest 100-yard games. I mean, I think that's what happens when you have Stephon Diggs across the way from you, putting up 165. Your 100-yard game doesn't look that spectacular, but when you saw Gabe Davis play, he came off the bench and put up that performance. He showed that he's not rusty. He just needs opportunity. The skill set's still there that made him dangerous last year. The downfield contested catches, toe-tapping sideline catches that put you in the red zone or get you into scoring position. I mean... We need to see more of Gabe Davis as the season wears on. Because with him playing in place of the injured Cole Beasley, the offense had more of a vertical feel to it. Now, whether that's a byproduct of game planning or because his underneath security blanket that Allen kind of relies on was gone, he was forced to work deeper down the field. The result was an explosive downfield passing game that we haven't seen in weeks. A lot of that comes because of Brian Dable who had the... Chris, if we're going to talk about bounce-back performances... You golf clapping? It's a closed fist with me slapping my hand on the top of it. So you don't want to actually give him a round of applause? No. It's like a half one. No, it's it's a half. Dable's bounce-back performance was something we desperately needed. First of all, A-plus red zone play calling for the first time, I want to say, all season. Red zone scoring has been a problem for the Buffalo Bills all year, and yet this week against a bad defense, they found a way. First of all, the Breda wheel route, I don't care who your defense is, that thing, it probably works. The fake to Moss McKenzie jet sweep. That was a great touchdown. The, I don't know what else to call this series of plays other than, fuck you, Stephon Diggs gets a touchdown today play. One-on-one against, uh, well, what is it, uh, Lance Guidry? I don't know who that is. No, you still won't, not even after that game. Guidry was one-on-one. They, they, they single-cover Stephon Diggs in the red zone, and Josh Allen throws it to him, kind of throws him a fade. He catches it, and they say he didn't get both feet in bounds. So we go for it on the next play, and they single-covers Diggs again. At that point, if I'm if I'm Josh Allen and I see that, I'm like, okay, now you're just being ignorant. You're daring me to challenge what? Some no-name cornerback? I'll roast this guy and feel great about it. I love the fact that they just stuck to that play call. I'm back-to-back. They were like, no, you don't understand. He gets a touchdown. You, you don't get a say in it. Random defensive back we don't know and probably won't hear of ever again. You don't get to stop this. We call the plays down here. We imposed our will on them in an area of the field where we've been struggling all year, which is what you should do if you're a good football team against a bad football team. I will say if I have any gripe about what Dable pulled today, pulled, pulled over the weekend, 
a rookie offensive tackle comes in. Dan Dawkins comes off the field. It's third and long. And you call long developing routes. That rookie gets beat clean off the line. And Josh Allen gets pressured, sacked. I mean, it's, it's, it's a shit show. I don't think he got sacked, but he got hammered. Play doesn't work. And Josh Allen is seen on TV coming over to the sidelines, pulling his helmet off. And they cut the camera, like, they put the camera on his face and then cut it away when you when you can read his lips and he's going, what the fuck? And he just cut away because like, what? That's not what we want on TV. Chris, it's 2021. Do they not know that players are going to swear? Yeah, they should know. So why do they get so sensitive about it? It's like, listen, let the guy yell. I want to see that. That's what I want to see. I don't know. It's 2021. You got to get offended by words. I I just, it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, so you put a rookie in for his very first NFL offensive snap at left tackle against one of their better pass rushers, even a bad team with bad pass rushers. Here's a kid who was, what, a fifth or sixth round pick? Who came in for Tommy Doyle? Yeah. Yeah. Fifth, sixth, somewhere around there. So he comes in, and you don't even try to help him. Like, hey, let's just get the ball out fast. Let's help this rookie kind of find his... No, let's call a long-developing route and just hope that Doyle, who's never seen an NFL pass rusher before, let's just hope he has it. And he gets beaten off the block. Uh, I, I was so mad at Dable in the aftermath of that play, but I think Josh Allen put it perfectly when he just came over to the sideline and just started F-bombing people. But I have to, even from that, exotic usage of our various rushers and their skill sets more than redeems him. We had the most players to record a rushing attempt this season in this game with six. Four players with double-digit yards after contact, and the situational play calling in it that was something special. You're, it might have been the best thing I've seen all year. The the jet sweep touchdown by Isaiah McKenzie in the red zone. The the twenty four yard run by Sanders. Nobody's expecting Sanders to take a carry because he's never done it. Now it's something that defensive defensive coordinators are going to have to put in their book and say, okay, ugh, this is the thing we have to this is the thing we have to dig into. And oddly enough, the Bills finally found what seems to be a winning mix of play calling. I mean, that's the balance, right? Because for for 366 yards, Chris, you would assume Allen aired it out, right? Yeah. Okay. 28 pass attempts to 24 rushes. And it's not just the numerical balance of things. It's the way they found efficiency with that balance. Four different players with rushing touchdowns. Four different players with rushes of more than 10 yards. Moss, Breda, Singletary, and Sanders. No rusher had more than 50, and yet they cleared 130 yards. This was, hey, we as a team are better runners than you. Like, we have too many weapons. We're going to get creative, and when we do, you're fucked if you're not an upper echelon team. Like, every defensive coordinator is going to have to go back and look at the tape that the Bills put together and try to figure out, okay, now how do we account for all of this shit on a weekly basis? You kitchen synced them. With our rushing attack. And that's going to be interesting to see how that changes what defensive coordinators like Matt Eberflus this coming weekend. What he has cooked up to try to stop our defense, stop our offense. Also, Matt Breda. Can we talk about him for a second? 
I almost picked him up in fantasy before the game. I played Zach Moss. If Zach Moss didn't get that touchdown, my day was fucked. And I'm watching Breda just run wild going, well, I don't know shit about this game. I'm a hack. Now, we already know that you don't know anything. I mean, when you look at the way that Moss and Singletary have run this year, watching Matt Breda, it's like, who knew that having a legitimately fast running back might help? Who could have told you that that might have been a good thing, right? Singletary. Look at this. On runs off tackle so far this season, Devin Singletary has two first downs, two 10-yard runs, no touchdowns. Moss has four first downs, zero 10-yard runs, one touchdown off tackle. Matt Breda. A 15-yard touchdown run. He gets that reception out in space. It's like, you immediately become one of our most explosive players. Why are you riding pine? You see that. I don't know. It's a lost dynamic in this offense. And getting to see it for the first time on Sunday was kind of a breath of fresh air. We're going to start having to ask the question, are the Bills better off having three active running backs on Sundays? You have Moss, who is, he quietly kind of led, the, he was in the upper echelon of the NFL last year in terms of pass protection as a running back. And I feel like in that Steelers game, we really missed that presence when you're going up against a TJ Watt against an offensive line that's kind of out of sorts. Singletary. He's an all-purpose kind of light box back who, if, if they don't stack the box, he can make things happen. And then you got Matt Breda, speed change of pace back, who even with just three carries can change the, the complexion of an entire football game. Two touchdowns on three touches, Chris. You can't, like, that. that's production that you can't ignore. And yeah, he's probably not going to do it again. But it underscores a lost dynamic that other teams aren't prepared for right now. Yeah, we, under Dable, we... It seems like he's not that good at uh, putting together a run-specific game plan. Which is shocking because he oversaw the offense that produced Peyton Hillis. You remember that? The Great White Hope? Yeah, and then he ended up on he, the cover of Madden. Yeah, so knowing that he was the, he was the engineer of that... It makes me question why he isn't all in on this idea of three running backs. Three running backs. Take away somebody from somewhere else. I get, I get special team snaps are important. But when you see the different dynamic that Breda brings, I mean, if there's any argument to be made against it, his fumble there, they that fumble wasn't forced. He was literally switching hands with the ball mid-run. You don't think that's going to result in a fumble? Maybe the coaching staff sees that in practice all week and they don't like the fact that it's happening. So they don't put him out there. Maybe they don't like his ball security. For a team that prides themselves on that, I could see where that would be problematic. But at the same time, he just brings too much of a different dynamic that our other two backs don't have to, to just leave him languishing on the bench. 
I'll never understand it, and I'm going to rail against it from now until the day when I see him starting again and being a significant contributor. Bill's football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Bill's tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of those awful service fees that the other sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best price on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. Visit TickPick.com slash RockPile today to save $10 on your first order of Bill's tickets. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But in terms of our hero of the game, I mean, you'd think that two touchdowns would warrant you hero of the game status, right, Chris? Yeah. And yet, there's somebody else who I felt like deserved it more. And that's right tackle Spencer Brown. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. It's amazing the difference that that guy makes with our offense, and he's a fucking rookie. It's Is it scary that it's a rookie who's making this big of an impact on our offensive line? I mean, yeah, yeah, because we've already seen him out and see how depleted we are when we have to shift things around on the offensive line with an injury to a rookie. It's brutal. The guy's been lights out since he's playing. In four games with, right, four games with Spencer Brown, points per game, 38.5. Yards per game, 448. This of Joe, from Joe Marino of the Lockdown Bills podcast on Twitter. Rushing yards per game, 135. Five games without him, we have 25.2 points per game, 364 yards per game, 111 rushing yards. Our offense is... He's almost 100 yards better and, what, 13 points better with Spencer Brown on the field. And when you think about that in terms of what we saw on Sunday, without him, it's possible we don't get this game from Breda or from anybody else. Think about it. McKenzie's touchdown run, the jet sweep to Spencer Brown's side. 
he's the one who has to kind of seal that and make sure like he has an edge to scrape across and get into that. You know, you know what I mean? Brady's touchdown run. Brady's touchdown run. He had. You're talking about the guy who had the second highest RAS score. That from uh, Math Bomb on Twitter. Second highest RAS score ever, and you saw it on display in this game. He was the highest graded run blocker, and one of his better days is in pass protection. Well, he's still learning how to play the game of NFL football. I mean, in Sanders' run, he's out in space like a machine. On Braid's touchdown run, he was way out ahead of both the running back and the fullback to a degree that Gilliam didn't have anyone to block until he got to the one-yard line. He didn't have any traffic in front of him because Spencer Brown bowled two guys out of the way. He consistently put just space on the edges, right? Getting out there in space on the edges of this offense was something that we lost when Eric Wood and Richie Incognito left the team in 2018. And you saw how that ability, that athleticism with his size and strength to get out in space sparked a lot of our more dynamic plays on the ground. They have the second, the team has the second highest yards per attempt rushing anywhere on the offensive line behind Brown at right tackle and off the right end out into space. And then what I like about the guy is his sandpaper, right? He's got balls. He's not out here, like, one of the things I love, Daryl Williams, last year he put on a very good season. I mean, it earned him a hefty extension. Yeah. And, and then he it, decided not to play up to that level. But at no point did I ever think that Daryl Williams had any nasty to his game. I watched Spencer Brown play. I'm a piece of shit. I love watching him play offensive line. I'm a dirtbag. I love it. I mean, being a kid... I I got drunk with a couple of my friends in, in the garage. I was talking about how we used to run. Sorry if this offends you. The Redskin counter was a play. They used to get called when we were kids playing football. And nothing made me happier as a guard. Coming across the backside, you scrape around the edge of either the tight end or the tackle, and you come around, and the person who you're going to meet, if it's all done properly and the rest of the line does their job, is a linebacker, or a cornerback who, when you're playing peewee football, that's a kid who you outweigh by like 30 pounds. Yeah. Oh, that was the, those are the most satisfying moments when you just get out there and you're like, oh, I have you. I'm going to turn you into a lawnmower. And then you go looking for another kid to hit. That's Spencer Brown, but he's doing it at the NFL. <laughs> like, and he, you can tell that he enjoys it because he gets up and he's fired up. He gets up from that play where he throws one DB into another DB, knocks him out of the way on the braided touchdown, and he's headbutting people. I love it. You see him, like, go back to the Houston game. Remember? He's mixing it up with their linebackers and their safeties and just everybody else. He's like, I'm, I'm a bully. What are you going to do to me? <laughs> I love it. I love the way he plays. It's moxie. I, everything. I enjoy seeing that. And there's a ripple effect of him being out there. First of all, Darrell Williams slides inside to guard, double-digit improvement in his run and pass blocking grades moving back inside because he's got a shorter radius of athleticism. That's just what he is, right? He's, he's, he's got great footwork. He's got okay hands. He, his kick slide in his mirror is okay, but his footwork is 
top notch, which is what gets him by most often. When you put him inside a guard, inside a phone booth, it's very hard for defensive tackles to beat him because he's a big guy with great footwork, a decent anchor. He immediately stabilizes the interior of that offensive line. Bakker, you see him improve statistically. But going up against what is a very good Jets interior defensive line, if, ever, if there's anything on their team that's worth noting, it's the fact that their interior defensive line is very good. Now, in this game, Mitch Morse goes, hey, Darrell Williams is a veteran. I don't have to watch him. I don't have to babysit him. You saw the community. There was none of the communication issues that you saw against Jacksonville. And instead, what you saw was Morse being able to more frequently slide over and help Butker. And you saw the difference in the statistics. Just two pressures allowed in this game instead of the five pressures, four hurries, and one sack that he gave up, gave up against Jacksonville. Maybe Feliciano comes back in and is an upgrade from Butker. I mean, that's something we can all hope for. But it's clear that for the interior offensive line to beat its best, we need Spencer Brown at right tackle. McDermott keeps telling the media not to crown the kid as a pro bowler yet, but if he keeps this shit up, I might have to consider buying a jersey for the first time in a long, long time. And then we got our zero of the week, Chris, and that's referee Scott Novak and his crew. Fucking embarrassing! You're talking about a ref crew that leads the NFL in penalties called multiple times. Chris, how does this happen? You as an official throw a flag. And then you guys have to get together and you talk about it. You come out and go, there is no penalty for whatever the fuck we thought we saw. Uh, Next down. And you say, okay, that's one. And then it happens again. And then it happens a third time. What, What are you talking about in that huddle? Chris, how do you as an NFL ref who's cashing NFL checks... Get in that huddle and say something that, like, how do you get talked out of not, like, I thought I saw a penalty, but I didn't. If it happens once, okay, that's weird, but maybe you thought you said, maybe some other official saw the nuance of the play. Three times? Maybe you're all just bad at your fucking jobs. It's a horrible year for officiating. At one point in the first half, every every other game was beyond the two-minute warning, and a few had even gone to halftime already. There was more than four minutes left in our game because the clock kept getting stopped by these zebras throwing throwing flags so they can get their five minutes of fame. I tweeted out, Chris, we as a society have come to come to the conclusion that a lot of our negative traits as a society are learned behaviors. Patterns of thought, patterns of neglect, patterns of vitriol that get handed down from parent to parent to child, year generation over generation. It's generational, and that over time, we can either choose to move away from those things and fix society, or sometimes things happen that make them worse. In that way, I said, "Listen, my son is going to grow up to be a complete bigot towards NFL referees." This season cemented that. And this Sunday's performance might have been the cherry on top. I'm quite confident Jack could call a better game now. The only the only area of concern I have with Jack calling an NFL football game is him running up and down the field, keeping pace. <laughs> Other than that, I'm pretty sure he could do it. It's like, listen, 
listen, we're we're out here trying to make society better, and here you are making me make my son hate NFL officials. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Final thoughts, Chris, as we wrap this show up. The get-right game is a perfect get-right game you could have. Uh, hopefully another one here coming up against the Colts because we're going to have a stretch with New England twice and Tampa Bay, and these are games that you have to have. I'm going to open a fresh one for this. Last week, it was fire and brimstone after the Bills' embarrassing loss to Jacksonville. And it, it, it lost in some fans' minds is that it's been a really, really strange two weeks in the NFL. The Raiders lost to the Giants by a full touchdown. The Bengals got waxed 41-16 by an on-the-ropes Browns team. The Titans beat up the Rams, which were supposed to be one of the NFC's like Super Bowl contenders, on the road. The Ravens got embarrassed on primetime by the two-win Dolphins as their offensive line and wide receivers just imploded. The Browns crashed back to earth, probably for good, up in Foxborough, Oregon Trail style. Like, everything that was good about them has gone to shit. Everyone is dysentery, and they're probably all going to die on their next attempt to ford the river. The Steelers tied with the winless Lions, which was a hilarious... Chris, when that kicker... Like, the Lions kicker looks like an out-of-work plumber. And he comes out like cause he he has he has the physique of Janikowski. Like you look like a trash can with legs, but at least you can kick the football well. So everyone on the NFL field with you at least accepts the fact that hey, this guy's a slob, but he can kick the football well. So we accept his existence. This guy can't even do that. So you're just out here, out of, painfully out of shape, terrible mustache, and you miss a game-winning field goal kick in overtime for your winless team. Like, that's embarrassing for everybody. And the Chargers lost to a three-win football team at home because neither one of them has a legitimate NFL quarterback. <laughs> like, that's Justin Herbert, I, I'm tired of this. I, I'm sick of it. It's just... <sighs> Sean McVay and his seven-win football team lost again to San Francisco last night, making them the only team in the NFC West they can't beat. His career 3-6 and six record against San Francisco is hilarious when you think about the fact that he has an 8-1 and one record against Arizona and a 7-2 record against the Seahawks. Why can't Sean McVay beat the San Francisco 49ers? I don't get it. That's I, like that's like an odd... Like McVay, I think, is smarter than Shanahan when it comes to offensive uh, play calling and scheming. And the Rams have clearly have the better talent. I don't know why McVay just can't beat Shanahan. I do, actually. A tweet by Robert Mays on Twitter. The Rams' defensive structure essentially dares an offense to get bored running the ball, and the Niners' staff thinks that running the ball is the most exciting thing on earth. Like, that's it. That's it. So they've just exposed a glaring deficiency in that football team. Everything's gone topsy-turvy. Everyone sucks. Uh, Tom Brady lost to a losing football team that doesn't even have a name. They don't have a name. And you lost to them, Tom Brady. Now, there's a few ways you can choose to look at this. First... No one in the NFL is actually good. Every contender might also be a fraud just waiting to expose itself, and ultimately we should all just eat a goddamn garbage plate because none of it matters. We might as well all just be dead. 
or two that like we alluded to a few weeks ago, that the AFC and NFL as a whole is a weekly game of rock, paper, scissors, and that too many people get too wrapped up in trying to forecast wins and losses or project, predict player trajectories or trend trajectories like it's a scientist, like there's any science to this bullshit, when instead we should just embrace the fact that every week each team gets a chance to go out there, scout, self-scout, and adjust to the challenge at hand. Between me as the host here and you guys as the audience, it's safe to say that I'm, I'm typically the manic one here. And yet I'm sitting here gripping and sipping with a smile on my face because we have a quarterback like Josh Allen who gets that dynamic. That line of his to CBS in the post game about not having to be the best team in the league, just the best team on the given field every Sunday. That's the mentality. That's going to be the mindset that makes this team a winner more often than not. We can argue where the inspiration for that statement comes from, but it's fair to say that that a sobering loss like this one, we're coming off this loss in Jacksonville and everybody's down. Fans are down. You think the players aren't? That's a hell of a thing to refocus someone as absurdly competitive as Josh Allen. And the trickle down from that, from the staff to the quarterback to the rest of the roster, it's a thing of beauty. This is the culture that Sean McDermott has been trying to build since he got here. And I think that this win after last week's loss is the reason that all of this comes to fruition. Everything that they've been building since 2017 was for moments like this, where they say, look, we've got the right chemistry. We've got the right mix of players. We've got the right quarterback. Chris, he could have pulled a Matt Stafford. Instead, he went out there and put the, put the team on his back and said, hey, all the mistakes I made last week, I'm not going to make them. But I'm not going to joke around. I'm, I, I, now I'm focused because I lost that game and I feel responsible for it. And I'm going to come out here with a grim determination to bury this football team and do the thing that I know I can do well. The thing that you paid me to do well. The thing that you're going to be paying me for hopefully the next decade and a half to do well. What we as fans learned is that this Bills team is one that isn't just able to reinvent itself when push comes to shove and find new levels of creativity, but that they're also one that can refocus when shit hits the fan. Those two things should excite us and scare the shit out of everybody else in the AFC. This was a fun one. Chris, we got a great week of podcasts coming up. We have Cody Felger, fellow Blue Wire podcaster from, well, what is it? Bring, Bring the, the Juice. Juice podcast. We've got That's our, not an OJ reference. <laughs> God, I wish it was. We have our AFC's roundup, which is going to be the craziest one because we've got the Patriots closing distance with the Bills. We've got Miami winning maybe the biggest upset of the week. It's going to be a lot of podcasting coming up both tonight, tomorrow, the next day. Make sure you check it out. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rockpile Report. And before we get out of here tonight, I, I want to tell you guys about a company that they're kind of close to me. I, I've, <laughs> I, I'm a patron. I want you guys to get to know them. If you're like me, you're probably a drinker. You probably party pretty hard for Bills games. If you go to the stadium and you're out there with me, you probably come home when you're pretty tired. And if you have kids, you probably run into days where you don't know, hey, we need dinner on the fly. I'm not sure what to do. Let La Via Italia be the answer for that. 
They've been around for 50 years. They're a company most people don't even, I don't want to say most people don't know about, but they're a company that's been around for a very long time, based out of Eden, New York, now established in Hamburg. When you think about what pizza costs, right? You think about frozen pizza. You're used to DiGiorno. You're used to things packed full of preservatives. What if you could get buffalo pizza, handmade, flash frozen, and delivered to your doorstep? Whether it's shipped to you or whether it's literally delivered to your doorstep via truck. And what if I told you that it was half the price of a standard large cheese and pepperoni? Right now, you can get a two-pack of large cheese and pepperonis from La Via Italia for $19. I love it because it gives me something that I can throw in the oven and not have to fight with some guy on Grubhub or worry about some sloppy teenager knocking over its way to my house. I don't have to talk to anybody. I can just get fresh, fresh pizza made the way Buffalonians like it, delivered directly to my home. LaViaItalia.net, L-A-V-I-A-I-T-A-L-I-A.net. Again, Lavia Italia. We're going to link it in the show's description. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. They are the official post-game pizza of the Rockpile Report. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 